So we're going through uh, the uh, mini-series on the life of Elijah, and uh, today's sermon is called uh, Fire in the Drought. You know, I remember uh, talking to my friend um, a while back, and he worked on a farm. And I remember thinking as he was talking to me, man, I am so glad that I don't work on a farm. (laughs) He would tell me that he would wake up before dawn, Um, He would go out into the field, and he would be doing all of the stuff that he needed to be doing, and then he would come back past midnight, sleep for a couple hours, and then do the same exact thing, day after day after day. But, you know, that that part did sound pretty bad, but I think the part that really sealed it for me, that I'm just not meant to be a farmer, was that he, he just said how unpredictable it was to be a farmer. That everything was based upon the weather. You can work as hard as you possibly can, but if there's no rain, there are no crops. And if there are no crops, then there's no money. And so, for farming at least, it was so unpredictable. And for me, it was just to the point where I I just couldn't imagine ever farming. And he told me that before there would be a dry season. And he said during the dry season that there was one huge hope that he had and also one great fear that he had. And so he would pray about these two things specifically all the time during a dry season. He said that the one hope was that it would rain. Because if it rained, then the crops would survive. But he said the greatest fear that he had was that there would be a spark, that there would be a match, that someone on the side of the road would throw a cigarette or something like that, and it would light, it would hit, and that he would wake up one day and his entire field would be full of smoke. You see, he was so afraid of fire. You know, for many of us, we are in the driest season of our lives. We are physically, spiritually, emotionally almost dead. And so for us, we cry out to God and we ask God to give us something just to show us that He's alive to show us that he exists, to show us that, yes, there's something that he can do to help us in our most desperate time of need. But instead of answering our prayers and instead of bringing the rain that we desperately want, fire comes down instead. God, it would be so easy for you to answer my prayer. God, it would be so easy for you to bless me in this one little part. You, could, you just need to lift a tiny finger and it would, you would be able to. And yet, God doesn't do that. In fact, he does the opposite. Why does God not answer me during my most difficult times? In fact, why does it feel like when things are going badly, He allows for everything to fall apart. 
In this passage, you see, Israel, they were in the midst of a three-year drought. And within this drought time, everyone was suffering. Everyone was on the verge of dying. And finally, Elijah, he comes up to King Ahab, and he tells this man to bring the prophets of Baal to Mount Carmel. Because for him, he said, now is the time to have a contest. Now is the time where I can really speak to you. Now is the time when Israel can really change. And now is the time where I'm going to show you who the true God is. You see, this drought, it was meant, yes, for King Ahab. Yes, it was meant for Queen Jezebel. But it was meant for the Israelites there. It was meant to shake them. You see, the people, they knew about God. They knew the stories about God. They knew that they had taken, that God had taken them out of Egypt. They knew that God had brought them out and had brought bread from the sky, water from a rock, that he had sustained them in the wilderness. And yet in that moment, they were beginning to be swayed by these new gods. They were beginning to wonder, oh, can I really worship only this God? So in verse 21, Elijah, he goes before the people and he asks them this one thing. He says, how long will you waver or limp between two opinions? If God is God, then worship him. But if Baal is your God, then follow him. You know, in the ESV here, it says, how long will you limp between two opinions? You know, the literal translation uh, in the Hebrew is closer to falling or sinking. How long will you be sinking between these two opinions? You see, the Israelites, they didn't understand why you couldn't worship both gods. They didn't understand why you had to only worship God or you had to only worship Baal. They tried to do both. They thought both were good and they thought both might be able to lead to heaven. You know, in our generation, people hate Christianity because they believe it is so intolerant. So one of the most pervading thoughts of our generation is that all major religions are connected and that all roads lead to heaven. You see, many people find Christianity narrow-minded and they think that it's ignorant that we believe that Jesus is the only way to eternal life. But you see, many people don't realize that by believing that all religions are the same, that by itself is a religion. You know, for me as a Christian, I believe that Jesus Christ is the one and only way to eternal life. For a Muslim, they believe in Allah. For Buddhists, they believe in Buddha. And for those who think that they're all good, you see, that is a type of faith. And I was watching a, a panel where a Christian pastor and a Muslim imam or a Muslim uh, leader were, was talking about both of their faiths. And they were discussing and going back and forth. And at the end, they had a time for questions. 
Uh, and one man from the audience, he raises his hand uh, and he says, you know, honestly, as I was listening, for me, I think that both of your religions are basically the same because the foundation for both Islam and Christianity are two things, loving God and loving your neighbor. The pastor and the Muslim leader, they looked at each other for a few seconds and they both responded this way. He said, you see, the essence of Islam is that God is invisible, that there are no images of God in this world. And yet the essence of Christianity is that Jesus Christ is the exact image and representation of God. Therefore, you see, one of us is completely wrong in our understanding of God. And we might both be wrong, but we can't both be right. The man in the audience, he thinks for like a split second, and he responds and says, no, 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 I don't agree. You see, both religions, I think, are like this. They're both about loving God and loving your neighbor. For this man, the only way that he could believe that there is no right religion is by forcing his own belief upon them. But you see, what's dangerous about that and why Elijah constantly is saying, no, no, you have to choose a side is because for that man, he doesn't realize that he's sinking in the middle. He doesn't realize that he has a religion on his own. He thinks that everyone else has it but him. You know, and there's so many, there's, there's a lot of people who are struggling with believing in God. And you're thinking, maybe God is right, but maybe Allah is right. Maybe Buddha is right. And what I would say to that is, you know what, I challenge you to research, to think about it, and to ask other people. And the reason why I can say that confidently is because for me, I was there. I was at that point. For me, I spent a long time researching and thinking and wondering and asking other people about who was right and who was wrong, about whether they were all right or whether they were all wrong. And what I found in the midst of my unbelief and my skepticism was that God encountered me and he changed my life. I was so skeptical, and so I searched everywhere. And everywhere that I looked was empty. I remember everywhere that I tried to go into these worship temples, into these places, and nothing. Nothing, again and again. And every time I researched, every book that I read, just nothing. And then finally, I encountered Jesus Christ. And for me, it felt like fire coming down from, from the sky. And maybe some of you guys are going to be different. But for me, I needed that. And God encounters you in different ways and in different times and in different places in your life. But he encounters you. Because our God is alive. 
because our God is real. And you see these bales, these idols, these everything else that you search for, they will always stay empty because there is no answer to emptiness. Because there is no answer when you're trying to cry out to something that doesn't exist. For me, I have seen God heal people. For me, I have seen God answer prayers. I have seen him change lives. I have seen him transform the people who seem most untransformable. I have experienced these things. So if you are in between, then I ask you, yes, search. I ask you, yes, seek. Because I'm confident that you will find what is alive. I'm confident that you will find what is true. And that's our God, Jesus Christ. But the one thing that you can't do is fool yourself into thinking that all religions are the same, that you can stay in the middle and that everything will be fine. You can't delude yourself into thinking that. And Elijah gives the same proclamation to the Israelites. No, 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 you can't sink between these two opinions. You have to choose. So in verse 28, you see the prophets of Baal are worshiping their God. And it says that there was no answer. So they began to first pray and then shout and then dance. And finally, they would begin to slash themselves, cut themselves until they bled, as was their custom. The word Baal is a generic term. You see, it's not actually the word of their God that they worshipped. The word Baal was a generic word for every type of God. There was a Baal of rain. There was a Baal of the sun. There was a Baal of the military. There was a Baal of beauty. There was a Baal of family. There was a Baal of every created thing. And so for them, they would worship these Baals when they needed that specific Baal to answer them. If they were into commerce, if they were into trade, that would be the main Baal that they would worship. If they were trying to start a family, they would worship or pray to or give sacrifices to that Baal of family, and they would switch on and off, on and off, on all these different types of gods. And I think for us, we look at that and we say, that sounds really strange, that sounds, that sounds really backwards. And yet, for us, we do the exact same. The only difference is, is that it's actually harder for us to admit today. Because when you take something that makes you happy, and it becomes what makes you significant, and it becomes what makes you worthy, then that becomes your idol. And that's the exact same thing as Baal. For me, I, uh, I think it was yesterday, I went to Harris Teeter, right? Uh, just right down the road, and I would walk past the magazine section. And uh, man, it's crazy, you are bombarded with the most beautiful people that you will ever see, right, on those magazine covers. You, you see celebrity after model, after six-pack, after whatever, right? Just over and over again. And these people have no physical defect whatsoever. These are physical, perfect specimens, right? Okay. <laughs> and what we, 
The thing is, as we look at these pictures, and as we look at advertisements, as we look at commercials, as we look at these different things, we have no idea that these things have spiritual authority in them. We have no idea, for many of us, that these things have spiritual power that can change your soul. For a lot of men, for a lot of women, we are bombarded by these pictures. We are bombarded by these advertisements and these commercials of being beautiful. And so these things that first make us happy, we begin to attach our self-worth. We begin to attach our identity to physical beauty. And what that happens is because those things have spiritual authority and spiritual power, it passes into your soul. And what happens is that the opinion of everyone and how they talk to you and what they say about how you look, it matters so much to you. Accept what God says. It doesn't matter that you are created in his image. It doesn't matter that he thinks of you so highly. It doesn't matter of all the things that he has mentioned in the Bible, that you are his son, that you are his daughter, that he knows every hair on your head, that he cares for you. What matters is the person next to you, what they say about you. That one compliment that can keep you sustained for days or that one insult that can destroy you. You see, everything is and can be a bail. Your career, your family, your children, your beauty, those things have spiritual authority in them, whether you realize it or not. And Elijah, he is so adamant about this. This is why he's yelling at them. This is why he's saying this at the most crucial hour. He could say anything else, but he says, stop sinking. Stop falling. You're in between these two things. You have to choose. Because he knew that if they continued to worship Baal, that they would get hurt. What do I mean by that? See, the prophets of Baal, they began to pray to the rain god. And when that didn't work, they walked, they danced. And finally, when their idol didn't give them what they wanted, they began to cut themselves. I'm going to give you a scenario. There are two people who apply to med school. Neither of them make it. Obviously, they'll both be upset. They'll both be sad. But what if one recovers and moves on? And what if the other can't get past it and spirals into self-hate, starts to question their own identity, starts to wonder about if they're even worth going to anywhere, and they fall into depression? See, for one of them, that goal, that school, that place, it was their bail. And when their bail didn't answer them, they began to cut themselves and they began to bleed. 
You have to be careful, church. Because that bail in your life, it can look so good at first. But when it doesn't answer you, when it doesn't fulfill all of your needs, and there will be a time when that happens, the only other option, the only place you will go is towards where the prophets went. And so now these prophets of Baal are exhausted and they're bleeding and their idols have not answered them. And so Elijah goes up. Just one man in the midst of 400, 500 prophets. And he begins to pray. And what happens is that fire comes down from the sky. And it is so powerful and it is so hot that it consumes everything there. You know, I thought about this story before because it is really famous. Um, and I, I wondered as I read this, why didn't Elijah just pray that God would send rain in that moment? Why, why, why fire? Why not rain? Why would God bring down of all things, fire. Because it, for me, it, it would make more sense if Elijah, in that moment, when Baal didn't answer, when the prophets of Baal were exhausted and bleeding, when everyone's eyes were on the altar, when everyone's eyes were on Elijah, when everyone's eyes were on heaven, for it to rain. Because you have to understand that for three years, the people there were crying out for one thing. They desired one thing more than anything else. They wanted rain. They wanted to survive. They wanted to live. And yet in that crucial moment, God brings down fire. Why is it that in the midst of some of the hardest moments of our lives, that fire would come down instead of rain? And the answer is in verse 37. Because Elijah prays this one prayer, and God, he answers it. See, verse 37, Elijah says, Answer me, O Lord, answer me, that this people may know that you, O Lord, are God, and that you have turned their hearts back. Answer me that these people may know you, God. That was his prayer. You see, if God sent down water, then these people would drown spiritually. Because there is nothing more dangerous than a happy life. There is nothing more dangerous than a life that is completely content and satisfied. If they received water, then you know what they would say? They would say, you know what? Baal finally gave it to us. Or on the flip side, they would say, you know what? I'm content where I am. At least I have enough to survive. At least now I can be this much happy. At least I can be th to this point of my life satisfied. You see, the more successful you are, the bigger the idols become in your life. 
If you get into that school, then yes, you did it. If you get more money, then you did it. The more successful you become, the easier it becomes for the idols in your life to the things that you trust in the most to cover God. So what God needs to do, what God wants to do, is to wake you up. And the way that he wakes you up is to burn down everything in your life that was holding you back from him. Because for a lot of us, we pray that prayer and we say, God, God, I want this thing. God, I desire this thing. Give me more of this. And yet the prayer that we should be praying and the prayer that means the most and the prayer that will truly satisfy us and the prayer that God is answering in our lives is, God, I want to know more of you. God, I want to find you. God, I want to encounter you. Because he knows that that's the only question and the only answer that will ever bring true satisfaction in your life. And so he answers it. He answers it by bringing fire. See, the way you find God is through fire in your life. A lot of us, man, we are spiritually dry. A lot of us are just tired in every, in every way. And you have been praying that God would give you something to sustain you. And so we pray for all of these different things. And it feels like God is doing the opposite. No, church. God is just answering the prayer that we were supposed to be praying. We're pray, we pray all the time, God, would you give me this? Would you give me that? When the true cry of our heart needs to be, God, I want more of you. God, I want to know more of you. God, I want to find you. God, I want to seek you. I want you, God. And so the way that God answers that is not by bringing down rain, is not by bringing down water, is by bringing down fire so that everything is consumed, including our idols. And that for us, we're going to have to cling on to God. And only in that way are we truly satisfied. You know, it's interesting because there's a passage in the New Testament that actually talks about this story. And it's in Luke 9. It's when Jesus and the disciples, uh, they're trying to go into this town. And you see, everyone at the time, they would know this story. They would know how it ends, how God answers Elijah's prayer and brings down fire and consumes everything. And that God wins. And so they're trying to get into this town and the people there, they don't let Jesus or the disciples come in. They say, no, no, you're, you're not wanted here. Get out, leave. And the disciples, they turn to Jesus, furious. Say, how, how dare they do that? How dare they do this? Jesus, should we call down fire like before and burn them up? 
That's what they say. That's what they ask Jesus. Should we burn them up like what Elijah did? Because for them, you see, they believed that Elijah was another form of, they thought that Jesus was another form of Elijah, that he was almost Elijah reincarnated. And they thought that the fire was a fire of judgment meant for sin. And so they asked Jesus, can we do this exact same thing? These people are in sin. These people rejected you. And so Jesus called down fire from heaven and burned them up. But it says that Jesus rebukes them. Why? It's because the disciples were half right. You see, the fire, it was God's judgment. It was a show of God's power and that he would not stand for any other God. But you see, they forgot that the fire, it didn't hit the people, it hit the altar. It hit the sacrifice. That the fire that was so hot, that the fire that was so powerful, it didn't hit any of the prophets. It didn't hit Elijah. It didn't hit the people. It hit the altar. It hit the sacrifice. It consumed everything there. You see, in the Bible, it says that Jesus came down to be baptized by fire. And what we don't understand, what the disciples didn't understand is that Jesus wasn't supposed to be Elijah. He was supposed to be the sacrifice that was consumed. Those people were meant to die. Those people deserve to die. They chose sin. They chose Baal. They chose to be away from God. They chose everything other than him. And that fire of judgment was meant to consume them. But on Mount Carmel, that fire, it did come down, but it didn't come down on them. It came down on the sacrifice. And you see that fire on that animal sacrifice, it was meant just to be a symbol. Because years later, on Mount Calvary, we see that Jesus, he laid down on the cross and he died for our sins. That the fire of God, the fire of judgment, the fire of wrath that was meant for us, it went down on Jesus instead. He was the sacrifice that we were supposed to be. And we were supposed to die. We were supposed to get consumed. But it was Jesus who was consumed on our behalf. But church, the beautiful thing is, on Mount, on Mount Carmel, that animal sacrifice was just an animal. And so after it was consumed, after it died, it stayed dead. But you see, the God that we believe in, Jesus Christ, he's, he is more powerful than any animal. He is more powerful than anything. And he is more powerful than even death itself. And so Jesus Christ, he didn't stay dead. But we know that the tomb was empty. And that after, after three days, he rose to life. What a beautiful, beautiful thing. 
Our God is alive. A few months ago, I remember hearing a story of Ada, our, our, my, my niece. And she was in school. And her classmate, her classmate said, you know, God is dead. <laughs> Straight up, just God is dead. And she goes, no, no, no God is alive. And, she, and, and he's in my heart right now. That kind of innocent and beautiful love of God is shown through this child. And she knew completely, without a doubt, that God was alive. And that God is alive today. Church, do you have the faith of a child? That you are able to say the same thing, that in the midst of everybody else coming before you, that in the midst of this world and this culture saying that God is dead, that you can believe in everything else, that all roads lead to heaven, that you can say, no, 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 no. I believe in Jesus Christ. That he is the one and only way to heaven. That he died for my sins. That he died in my place. That the fire that was supposed to come down for me, he took it instead. And I believe that three days later that he rose from the dead because even death couldn't hold him. Because he is more powerful than anything else. And then now he is alive. And he's alive in my life. He's alive in my heart. And that he transformed me from the inside out. Church, are you, are you tired of being dry? Are you tired of being so spiritually dead? then I would pray, God, I'm, I'm praying for you today. I'm praying, I have been praying, and I will pray that you will encounter God in a powerful way. Because you can go to all these other places and all, do all this other research, but those things are never going to come up. Those things will always come up empty. Because those things are always empty. Because there's only one God that is alive, and it's our God, Jesus Christ. And I pray that the that the fire of the Holy Spirit would come down upon your life and transform you like it transformed me. I was, the, I was a skeptic for so long. And I couldn't believe in God. I wouldn't believe in God. And it was only through his fire, it was only through his power, it was only through his word that changed me to where I am today. And so I have full confidence that he will change your life as well. And so church, are you in a drought? Don't pray for rain. Pray for fire. Let's pray.